Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend. That's really a remarkable thing, isn't it? When um, a nation um, shuts down its activities for a holiday, for a day to, to stop. Now, you know, um, we may not all see all the holidays in the same way, but it's a remarkable thing, isn't it? For, for a nation to shut down its activities, for businesses to stop, and for uh, people to stay home, and for companies to give their employees a free day to be home. It's a remarkable thing. Memorial Day. In that very title, it tells us that there, is, there are some things that are very worthy of our remembering. There are some things that are not. Um, last night's meal probably not worthy of your memory. Now, for us, that was on the way back from the wedding, driving down 72, trying to figure out which, uh, which fast food joint would be the cleanest. We didn't pick the right one. <laughs> or the fastest. We didn't pick the right one for that either. Or the best tasting. And we didn't pick the right one for that either. So we kind of bombed on all three categories last night on the way home. And that's okay. It's just one meal among many. Um, one meal that will hopefully quickly be forgotten. And much of life is like that. Uh, but there are some things that are very worthy of our remembering. So for maybe for some of you, maybe tomorrow just means that you will sleep in extra. You get a little extra hour of sleep because the alarm's not going to ring for you to go to work, for you to go to school. Or for maybe for some of you, it means that uh, you're hoping there's going to be some homemade ice cream tomorrow. It's going to be a tradition of your family to do homemade ice cream or a cookout, maybe some hot dogs and a and a hamburger, and some family gathered together. And then for some, it will take on even more meaning. Uh, there will be um, numerous families all around this nation, even in this city. In this city, there will be many who will travel over to, uh, is it Forest Hill Irene? I think it's Forest Hill Irene Road, where the uh, National Cemetery is. And they will gather there, and that cemetery looks all the same, marked with white crosses. There's another one in Arlington, Virginia. There are those that are scattered across this nation and scattered really even around this world. One of the traditions for our family for the last, I don't know how many years, is that every, we'll either record it or watch it live, but but every year we'll watch the PBS uh, Sunday evening uh, Memorial Day uh, concert that'll be held on the the mall there in Washington, D.C. It'll always be amazing to see how many people gather and it will be, there, will, there may be a few left this year, we'll see. Uh, but there will be a few uh, very ancient uh, people who will have fought in World War II, really the last, very last war that will be represented there, I would imagine, tonight, if there will be any really left there tonight to, to represent World War II. Um, and they will have put so much effort into just being there on that site. Um, and it'll be, there will be some stories that will... Uh, grip the heartstrings and just um, be reminders of the blessings that we enjoy and the cost of those uh, blessings. And so it's, it's, it's a reminder that there are some things that are very important to keep in mind. It's also a reminder that um, the mind is very powerful, that what occupies our minds, that certain memories Certain truths are, are shaping. They shape the way that we think. Uh, they shape what we think. Uh, they shape what we do. 
the mind is very important. In fact, Jesus brings great attention to the mind. The Bible brings great attention to our mind. Think of a few verses out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The heart there is, is the center. It's, it's everything. It's, it's what we desire. It's our emotions. It's our thoughts. It's our mind is the best way that we can really come to grab what the heart is. It's, it's what we think. It's what we want. It's, what, it's, it's how we feel. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the heart proceeds, Solomon says, out of the heart proceeds all, all of the issues of life. Jesus, in repeating that great command that was given to Israel back in Deuteronomy, the great command was to love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And Jesus just, just brings that a little further and says, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. So the Bible brings great attention to the mind. And it's interesting that even as I was thinking about, that, about this truth this week, thinking about Memorial Day and what it means and how our minds and how our futures are shaped by what we think and what we remember and what has been impressed upon in our hearts, maybe through stories that have been told to us by our parents or by our grandparents. In fact, let me just tell you one story. Just this morning, um, uh, Seth, I guess he said it last night, but I saw it this morning, Seth sent a Memphis Press Seminar. You may not know what that is. The Memphis Press Seminar was the uh, daily afternoon paper here in town for many years. There used to be a, a, a morning paper, that's, a, that's the commercial pill, an afternoon paper, that was a press seminar, and you children don't even know what newspapers are, but those were the ways that we got our news. And the Memphis Press Seminar clipping from 1927, and it was a story of my dad's uncle. So his dad's brother, his name was David Guess, and David Guess, um, the, the Guesses had a big family of boys, and um, they're a little rough around the edges, and so David Guess had a a group of friends uh, that was pretty rough. And so he ran with a pretty rough crowd. And so on one night, this is a story I've been told all my life, on one night, um, his friends came to pick him up in a car. They had a car. It was amazing. They had a car. And he jumps in the car with them. Well, the, they didn't have a car. The car was stolen. They had stolen a car. So they're in this stolen car, and they're driving through the streets of, of Memphis, and the police begin to chase them. And instead of stopping, they keep driving. And it's a little different the way the police would uh, enforce things back in those days. And the, so the police shot to shoot out their tires. And instead of uh, hitting the tires, the, the bullet hit David. And, and David died uh, that night. So the, it was a story in the press seminar about that story and about the funeral arrangements for David Guest. And I, when I read that, I thought, I have heard that story all my life. That's one of the stories that Daddy would tell us to tell us that, hey, you know, your decisions matter. And, and what you do in the moment matters, and who you choose for friends matters, and and uh, you know um, I, uh, ideas have consequences, and what you sow you're going to reap, and all those very important informative truths were enforced to us through the years through that memory. That was really not even his memory; it was his family's memory. It was a memory that was worth keeping, holding on to, telling that generations to follow might not walk in that same way. Okay. So what the stories that we tell, the truths that we remember, what we keep close to our mind 
is, is, is shaping. It's very important. So as I was thinking about this, that this week, a couple other things uh, hit. Um, this is a, a constant. I was looking at somebody's Instagram post, and it was um, them, them telling themselves their daily affirmations as they began work. Well, you know what? I, have, I don't have a whole lot of, of, um, of um, goodwill for daily affirmations. Uh, most of those are, are just... Are just, um, just Trash, honestly, just a, there's some sort of a, uh, of, a, of a self-help way to try to make ourselves feel better about life and about things. There are affirmations that we should absolutely um, experience, uh, should express to ourselves, but things like you are enough is just not true <laughs> and is not helpful, okay? Um, but it was a reminder that, that uh, what we tell ourselves and what we teach ourselves and what we think about really is powerful and is forming. The other thing was this. You may have seen it, um, but it, it's not just Jesus that understands how important the mind is. It's not just Christians who, should be, who are focused on loving the Lord with all of our mind or think, thinking about the power of the mind. The, the U.S. Surgeon General this week, you may have seen this, he came out with a, a report uh, just uh, announcing, as if we didn't already know this, announcing uh, the crisis that we are experiencing in America with mental health that is uh, being uh, uh, negatively shaped through social media. And he says there's a crisis among uh, young people and among adults and um, uh, among all through um, the power of Social media. So he's warning uh, parents and warning uh, young people about social media and warning companies that hey, we're gonna we're gonna start coming down more strong on, on the social media companies. We'll see about all that. Um, but the mind, the mind is is a very powerful thing, isn't it? What we remember, what we think about, is very powerful. Let's let's think about just for a few minutes um, the power of the mind, the power of an unconverted mind. Or what an unconverted mind looks like, and what a converted mind looks like, and then we're going to think about how that Jesus, how God has 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 uh, has sewed into the fabric of our lives memorials as a means of renewing our minds. So I'm not going to turn to all these passages, but let's turn to one. Let's turn to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. And let's just read this one verse in Romans 8. A couple of verses here. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. Romans 8, verse 5. Let's think about what the Bible describes an unconverted mind looking like. And as we think about that, just know this. um, As with um, everything else... If, we, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, your mind is converted, and yet we can take on uh, the characteristics of an unconverted mind. The only reason that our minds have been changed and been converted is because God has worked in us. But we know that we still have the same flesh that is a very much a part of our being, of our experience. And so, as we think about what the unconverted mind looks like, how it, how it presents itself, let's not say, oh, that's them over there, I'm glad I'm not like that, but to recognize in ourselves the uh, presence of unconverted thinking, unconverted behavior, okay? This is Romans chapter 8, the unconverted mind. For they that are after the flesh, 
That just means they are just human without the Spirit of God within them. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Another way of saying the same thing is that those who do not have the Spirit of God just are minding, they are, they are, they are, they are motivated by their own desires, their own thoughts. But they that are after the Spirit are motivated by the Spirit of God. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? The carnal mind. The carnal mind. The the mind that is thinking about just things of this life. The scripture says it's, it's earthly minded. It's turned towards now, it's turned towards here, it's turned towards self, it's turned towards what's in front of me. And here's here's the powerful thing, the unconverted mind is always in opposition to God. Always in opposition to God. It cannot please God. It's not turned towards submission to God. Isn't that something? To be carnally minded is to be in opposition to God, is to be an enemy of God. Is to be directly at war with God. Oh, brothers and sisters, how powerful the mind is, how much we should guard against a carnal mind, a carnal mind that is opposed to God. Romans 1.28, in describing this carnal mind, just describes it a little bit more. It says, it says it's a reprobate mind. Really, Romans 1 is a fascinating passage. Romans 1 talks about people who know who God is, who understand the power and the glory of God as is evident in creation. But there's a really bad, there's a really fatal flaw in humans. And the fatal flaw is, is that they who are not turned towards God, the carnal mind, the carnal mind is not thankful. Did you hear that? You go, well, I'm not a carnal minded person. I'm not, a direct, I'm not opposed to God. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's far from who I am. Well, here's the description in Romans 1. The carnal mind is not thankful. It's not thankful to God. It's not thankful for God's blessings. It's not thankful for God's goodness. It's not thankful for God's, for, for God's uh, uh, providence that, that sometimes slows us down or doesn't give us what we want. It's not thankful for the, for the frustrations of life. It's just not thankful. Not thankful. And so in this unthankful spirit, they turn towards their own wisdom. In other words, I'm not going to follow after God anymore because God doesn't give me what I want. So I'm going to do what I want to do because I can give myself what I want. And that seems smart to me. And so they're professing themselves to be wise, don't need God's wisdom, don't need God's law, don't need God's instruction. I can follow my own path. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And eventually, he says, they begin to serve. And part of service is worship. They begin to serve and worship the creature themselves more than the Creator. So again, remember this. They know there is a Creator. There's a Creator. He's more powerful than me, but I don't like Him that much because He doesn't give me what I want and doesn't do things according to my timetable. And so I'm going to begin to walk in my own way. So all of a sudden, carnal doesn't seem so far apart from where our experience does it. It seems a little bit closer to where I live and where I battle every day. I'm going to do what I want to do 
and begin to serve myself, to please myself. And the Bible says that's really worship. When you're serving yourself, you're worshiping yourself. Begin to serve and worship the creature more than the creator. And so God says, I'm going to then, here's the goodness of God. God is the great director of our minds. God turns our minds toward that which is lovely, toward that which is good. So, you know, yesterday we're in this, this hollow of this mountain in this range of Tennessee, this small little area on the globe that is absolutely breathtaking. And, 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 and a mind that is thinking right is supposed to sit there and just take in the whole scene and be in wonder. And sing, whoever called out the number 36, we sing the greatness of our God. That's the way our minds are supposed to be directed, right? But instead, because we've thought ourselves to be wise, God says, I'm going to give you over. I'm going I'm to release you. I'm going to surrender you to the power of your own thinking. Like, I'm going to take away the governor. And I'm going to let you hit, that, hit, hit that, 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 that pedal and go. I remember one time I, I drove a, a, a U-Haul truck from Texas to, to, uh, to Memphis with Rachel's stuff in it. It was going to occupy our new home. And I'd never driven a U-Haul before. And it was so frustrating to me because there was a governor in that U-Haul. And the governor would not allow the U-Haul to drive, the truck to drive faster than 55 miles an hour. And so what I thought was going to be a little quicker trip turned out to be a longer trip. But I'm going to tell you, looking back, that governor was the savior of my life. Right? I had, I had never driven a truck that big before. I had no idea what I was doing. I probably would have been off in some ridge in Arkansas somewhere. And they would have, you know, Sophia and Scarlett and Luke and Carson wouldn't be here today. So the governor is a blessing. God's governorship over our lives is a great blessing. And God says, I'm going to take away the governor. And I'm going to give you over, I'm going to surrender you to your own thinking. And here's how God describes our thinking when it's not being governed by Him. He calls it reprobate. And the word reprobate just means cast away or, or, or worthless or, or refuse. It's that you've, you've taken the potato and, you, and you've, you, you've, you've used it for every possible use and there's that one last little bit. You go, what are we going to do with this? We, we can't really use this. And you toss it to the side. And that's the mind that is not being governed by God. Isn't that something? It's a worthless mind. It's a castaway mind. And so then Romans begins to describe the activities and the thought life and the, the, the uh, really cruel human behavior, the unnatural human behavior that follows a mind that has been given over to itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 just calls this same thing a blinded mind. A blinded mind. You just can't see. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tragic thing, isn't it? Um, when spiritually speaking, you cannot see what is actually right in front of you. You cannot see reality. That, that, that no matter how many voices may be telling you, I'm telling you this is, what, this is what the situation is. Your mind is telling you, no, no, it's not like they're telling me. Uh, what I'm telling myself is exactly right. And everybody else can see, no, that's not how it actually is. But you see it. And since you see it, you're determined that this is the way that it is. And then the tragedy that follows is because our minds are blind. <laughs> 
And here's the other thing. This is, it almost becomes comical. The next passage is Colossians 2.18. And this word is just fleshly mind. And, and what that really means there in this fleshly mind, it means puffed up. Puffed up. So arrogant. Sure of itself. So, again, put it all together, this worthless sort of a castaway thinking that is blinded is also puffed up. That's just, that's, that's just extra annoying, isn't it? If your child is doing this and, they, you know, um, determined to jump off a cliff and, 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 and puffing up their mouth about it, you're like, what? You're so silly. Yet yeah, that's how we think. It's how our minds work without God's spirit. Ephesians 4.17 Says the vanity of the mind, the ignorant mind. It's vain. It's, it's passing. It's vain. It's it's um, it's 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 not meaningful. It's not weighty, but it's it's just it's it's passing away. And then finally, Titus one fifteen just calls this a defiled mind. It's defiled. In other words, you can look at the mind. You can see. You can see there was there was some glory there. There was some real potential there. There was some real worth there, but it's it's fouled now. It doesn't work anymore. It's like a car that has an engine in it. You can see the engine, the glory of the engine. You can see the steering wheel. You can see the seats. Uh, you can see the battery. Um, but the, but the, there's no, the oil has run out and the pistons are all messed up and, and the car won't work anymore. And you go, well, that's, that, that, was a, that could have been something, couldn't it? But it, it's defiled. It's not, worth, it's not worth anything anymore. So it's just a relic that sits there and is no longer of use. Meanwhile, the Bible says... This of the converted mind. In Hebrews chapter 10, really chapter 8 and chapter 10, the Bible describes this glorious work. It's a glorious work. We're supposed to be thinking about it in contrast with what we just said. This glorious work where the promise of God is, I am going to make a new covenant with you. And I'm going to, I'm going to write my law. So we went to Romans 1, and remember, they're not thankful, so they don't want God, they refuse God, but God says, listen, I'm going I'm to change you, and I'm going to write my law into your mind, and I'm going to engrave my law into your heart. That's good news, isn't it? So what God is saying there is God is saying, I'm going I'm to change the very center of you, the very core of you. I'm going to change your emotions and will and, 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 and mind. I'm going to change that. And I'm going to imprint my law there. And it's going to come to, to your thinking. It's going to rise out of your heart into your mind. It's going to come into your thinking. And your thoughts are going to begin to change. And it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult at times. It's going to be difficult at first for sure. I'm, I'm changing you, remaking you. But, but I'm going to change you. And, and, and here's how I'm going to change you. It's not just a little bit. Um, we just read it in Romans 8. That to be spiritually minded is, is life and peace. This is where I'm taking your mind. I'm taking your mind towards life. <laughs> so that the thoughts that you have and the decisions that you make and the way that you think is going is to lead towards life. And, and I'm going to take you towards peace. And here's a description in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16. I'm going to give you the mind of Christ. Isn't that something? I'm going to give you the mind of Christ. You're going to think like Jesus thinks. What an incredible blessing, isn't it? And yet, Scripture is very honest about this, this, this new mind and this work. Scripture in Romans chapter 7 says, um, I'll just read to you Romans 7. You'll be familiar with this. Romans 7 verse 23 says, But I see another law in my members, warring 
against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Scripture describes, describes a war that's occurring within our, within our being as we are converted. There's a, law, there's a war that's occurring. Can you, can, you, can you relate to that? Can you fellowship with that? Is there a war? Maybe even this morning a war has been going on in your mind. Brother Jefferson prayed uh, the prayer this morning. Lord, release our souls. Release our souls out of prison. That, that, that's a war that's happening. Release my soul from prison that I may praise your name. There's a law. Oh, 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 the law of my mind is turned towards God. There's a law of my flesh that turn, that's turned away from God. It's carnal. It's worthless. It, but, it, but, it's, but it sure is sure of itself. It sure is puffed up. It, 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 it's, it, 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 it's determined that it knows what it's doing. And I know I've proven it many times. I, I, I've proven it many times that it doesn't know what it's doing. But I'm still tempted to follow it. Because it feels so strong. And yet I'm in church right now and the pre- what the preacher is saying is really resonating with my heart. And I know he's speaking truth. And so I'm at war right now. And, and here's what Scripture says to us. This is where we're heading. Scripture says that your responsibility in this is to, take an act- is to become an active participant in this war. Okay? Let me read to you from Romans chapter 12. So we start- if we started in Romans 1 with um, the, the reprobate mind, and we came to Romans chapter uh, 7, and the changes occur, but also the war happening, Romans 12 would say, be sure to understand your responsibility. You are called to be an active participant in this war. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, you're giving yourself into this war, a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Let me just stop right there, just to remind you for a moment, what John says in 1 John. John says, don't love this world. And he gives two Main reasons for not loving this world. In other words, don't be, don't be preoccupied. Don't be those whom the Surgeon General warns other people about. Don't be that person. And by the way, let's be careful. In fact, I was listening to, to, to Al Mohler speaking about this very Surgeon General warning on Friday, uh, Friday's edition of the briefing. And he said some things that, that, that hit me pretty strong. Um, he said, it, it, it's obvious to all of us as adults the detrimental effect that social media is having amongst, amongst the youthful population. is clear. The suicide rates and the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the many, many other, other ways of, of seeing that. And yet, he said, and he's right, it's very difficult for us to speak authoritatively on this issue. You know why? Because we're struggling with the very same thing. Okay? It's a powerful statement. And then he said this. He said one of the Surgeon General's suggestions was that families should at least turn off their phones or devices or whatever 
and eat one meal together every day. And then he said this. He said, Christians, if that statement, if that suggestion is informative to you or convicting to you, then shame on us. Dagger. Right? Because I told my, I told my family we were driving down the road to, to Chattanooga. One of the things I love to do is I love to eat late. I like to warm it up in the microwave and eat late and just, just veg my mind for a few minutes. Maybe turn on the Cardinals and just watch them lose again. <laughs> and just it's just relaxing. And yet, and yet the realization is, is every single time I choose to do that, I am sacrificing an opportunity to have a conversation maybe about nothing worthwhile or nothing, nothing super important, but still a conversation. And that conversation itself, even if it's just about whatever, is of great importance both in the present connection and in the long-term development of relationship that will lead to more important conversation later. Right? And so let's not pretend this is not a battle for us. And so he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't love the world for two reasons. Because the love of the Father is not there. That's the, that's the best one. You want the love of the Father. Where's the Father at? Where's the Father who gives liberally, who bathes His people in goodness, who daily loads us with benefits, who loves us and knows us and has given His Son for us and cares for us? Where's the Father at? The, world, the love of the Father, the God of the Father, is not in the world. But here's the other thing. The world is so quickly passing away, is what John says. It's all vain. It's all blown away. So don't be conformed to that which may shape your life and yet be blowing away like I would blow away a dandelion. It's, it's, it's vain. It's not lasting. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing. He's calling on us to take an active role and an active participant in the work, the battle of the mind, the renewing, the renovation, the remodel of the mind. Several of you have, there's been some moving that's going on around lately, some remodeling happening in houses you know the the uh, the unrest and the the um, just the kind of, sort of the chaotic nature of that, but it's a very important thing. If you don't do it, you'll never end up in, the, in that final place. If you don't clean your room, if you don't take all of those clothes that are all wadded up out of the dresser and then fold them back up neatly, it's never going to get in the right place, and it's not pleasant. To take all that big wad out and throw it on the ground and then fold it back slowly. But it's, it's necessary to get it back in the right place. To get it orderly. And he's calling on us to be an active participant in the re- renovation, the renewal, the change of our minds. This is a command. Ephesians 4 says, you do this. You renew your mind. Now, a question that might follow that is, well, what does a renewed mind look like? Well, thankfully, Scripture answered that question as well. Let me, just give, let me just refer you to some passages. What does a renewed mind look like? In other words, what does my mind look like when it's, thinking, when it's, when it's aligned right? Have you ever thought about that? Because if, 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 
if, if, if our fleshly mind can be so convinced of itself, then how will I know if I'm thinking in a spiritual way or, uh, or, or fleshly way? Well, if you're taking notes, write these down. Philippians 2.3 says, Your mind is renewed, is being renewed when it's lowly. By lowly, it means this. Not thinking on your own things, but thinking on the things of others. It's taking the mind of Christ who came to serve. In other words, you're not preoccupied with your own needs. You're not preoccupied with your own grievances. You're not preoccupied with your own uh, feelings and desires, but you're thinking about others. How can I bless others? How can I make the lives of others uh, better? How, how can I uh, serve to solve you know, maybe a conflict that's happening with another? Lowliness of mind, that's a renewed mind. When your mind is lowly, you're not puffed up. You're not thinking about your own things. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12 and 9 verse 2 says a renewed mind is a willing mind or a forward mind. It's willing. In this context, it was willing to give. It's willing to give to the needs of others. It's generous. But you can take that into any sort of phrase of life. Are you generous? Are you willing to give of yourself? Or are you more resistant? Slow moving. Having to be convinced but a willing forward mind. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 7 says, A fervent mind toward me. So it's a, a, a mind that is fervent in love. That's a renewed mind. Are you fervently loving those whom God has placed in your life? A fervent mind of love. In other words, I'm not having to be convinced to love you. But I am giving myself in love to you. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 2 says, a mind that's not shaken. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? A mind that's not shaken. In other words, I'm not being shaken, tossed about with every new turn of the road. But my mind has been turned towards somewhere that is solid. I'm, I'm turning my mind towards something that is solid that keeps me from being soon shaken. We'll think about that in just a minute. Colossians 3, verse 12, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. You can read that on your own. Put on as the elect of God, holy above it, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul says, For God has, speaking to Timothy, he was very fearful at the moment, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So a mind that's thinking soundly, it's sober, it's, it's controlled, it's a controlled mind. How about this one? Titus 3, verse 7. A mind that is subject to authority. How about that? It's a mind that's not battling against the authorities in our life, but is submitting itself to the authority that God has given. That's a renewed mind. That's a mind that is being turned over and changed and brought into the image of Christ. Then 1 Peter 1, verse 13. It's a mind that is girded up. In other words... When men would have to, run, they would wear these robes. They had to run into battle, or had to run into run for a distance. They would gird up the, their their loins. They would gird up their robes around and tie them up to free their legs to be able to run well. So if you're tied down, weighted down with things that are pressing you down, that are maybe sins that are easily besetting you, you know you're not able to think right. So he says, gird up your mind. 
Start thinking right. Let go of the things that are keeping you from being able to walk and move freely. That's a girded up mind. And then I'll just say this. Many, many passages use these two words for a renewed mind. It's, it's, it's of one mind or the same mind. So where there is unity, there is right thinking. Where there is disunity, there is guaranteed to be uh, fleshly thinking. So where, where are the relationships in my life? Whether of one mind, of same mind, unity is a sign of a renewed mind. Well, so that's a description of the unconverted mind and the converted mind. And here's the, here's the end of the message, but sort of the point where I'm heading the whole time. God has used this concept of memorial days or memorial moments or memorial things to, to write into the fabric of the life of the really Israel and then the life of the Christian to, to turn our minds towards the right places. Memorials have always, Memorial Day was not just an American thing, right? Memorials, remembrances, something to turn our head to as a particular note of focus to understand and to keep in mind, to direct our minds in the future is part of how God uses, part of the, the, the means that God uses to keep our minds right. So let me just give you a few of them. The first one in Scripture that we think about is in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And this is in the beginning of God's dealing with Moses as he, will, as he has called Moses uh, to come and to lead his people out of the bondage of, of Egypt into the redemption of the promised land. And God appears to Moses here in this burning bush in the mountain. This bush that is being burned with fire but it's not being burned up. It's not being consumed. It's burning and it's still intact. And so this is an amazing sight, unlike anything that nature can provide. So Moses understands that he's on this holy place and God tells Moses to take his shoes off his feet because the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. So Moses is at this holy site with his shoes off his feet. The shoes off his feet are a sign that I don't belong here. I am in the presence of greatness. Brother Jefferson mentioned earlier, the holy, holy, separate, but eminent God. We're in the presence of greatness. And the thought then is, make my heart pure, right? If we're in this presence of greatness, we don't belong here. God either consume us or purify us, but we cannot stand here by ourselves. And then God says to this, Moses says to God, God, tell me who you are. I want to know you. I want to know who is this great holy one? Who is this one who is unlike any other? Who is this one who, can, who I can take his name to the people and the people will then follow me, this nation that has already rejected me, this nation that thinks of me as, 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 uh, as either an Egyptian or as a murderer, they will not follow me. What can I say that will convince them to follow me? And God says this, you tell them, I am that I am. And then God will go on in the next verse and say, verse 15, You say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, have sent me unto you. This is my name. I am that I am. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. I am that I am. 
Friend, God, if you're a God-fearer today, God, both for Israel and for you, God wants you to have very close to your mind that the God whom you are giving allegiance to, the God whom you are casting your soul into His hands for His care, for His keeping, this God is I am that I am. He is the God who is the eternal God. He is the God who exists by nothing except Himself. In other words, He is the independent God. Just take that word and chew on that all afternoon. What would it mean to be an independent being? What would it mean to be someone who doesn't rely on anything or anyone for existence? Doesn't rely on oxygen, doesn't rely on, 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 on a mother, doesn't rely on a father, doesn't rely on his car to start, start working, doesn't rely on anything. He's fully capable, fully self-contained power. The I am that I am. He is the independent one. He is the eternal God. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. So He's the constant God. He doesn't change. He's immutable. Immutable. He doesn't change. He cannot change. He is of one makeup. He is of one mind. He is of one purpose. And He cannot be changed. And if He's set His love upon you, that cannot change. And God wants you to keep this truth of who He is at the very forefront of your mind. He wants every morning to be a memorial day for you that He is the I am that I am. So that whatever you face today, or whatever you encounter today, or whatever questions you have, are all under the umbrella of I am that I am. The next one that I'll mention is in Exodus 12. Exodus 12, this is after the plagues, and after, uh, after the nine of the plagues, and just as the tenth plague is happening, and somebody tell me what was the tenth plague? The last one. The death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn, where the angel of death went throughout all the, all the nation of Egypt and slew every single firstborn child. Friend, do you think that God sees and God knows? Is God specific? Does God know who we are? Yes, God went to every household. And in every household, only one, or maybe two, only maybe a father, or well, maybe three, but father or mother, and, uh, uh, and the firstborn, specific only people died. So that you did the, 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 the news article after the event, you would say, this is a very fascinating thing. There were many people that died, but it was very specific. Only the firstborn of every household died. Do you think God knows our thoughts, knows our frames, knows the situation? Do you think God understands history? Do you think God knows what's happening? Yes, He does. But that's not even the most remarkable part. The most remarkable part was that not in every house did somebody die. But there's another very specific thing. There were houses that for some reason on this night, people took blood and painted blood over their doorposts. They painted blood on their doorposts on this night. And on this night, 
every single house that had blood painted over the doorpost, not one single person, not one single firstborn died on this night. This is a real historical fact. And God says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, that as this is happening, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance as a command forever. You have this as a memorial day forever. And what is the day? It's the day that the Lord passed over the houses where the blood was shed. What is it that God wants you to remember, friend? What is it that God wanted Israel to remember? God wanted Israel to remember Really, in a word, his faithfulness. His faithfulness. You see, it's not just that God is independent and God is eternal and God's the same, but this independent, eternal, same God is faithful. How faithful? How faithful is this God? Well, we know what the Passover is a picture of. The Passover, every single firstborn, listen, every single firstborn in those homes where blood was covered eventually died. Every single firstborn there was sinners. So every single firstborn only was spared that one moment. But eventually they all passed away. The Passover was never the whole point. The Passover was pointing towards a greater Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who is the real substance of of the Passover, and Jesus commands us in the New Testament to remember His Passover, His sacrifice on a regular basis as a memorial to Him to remind ourselves that the faithfulness of God goes so far that He will not spare His own Son for your salvation, for your redemption. So that the, 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 the ultimate angel of death, the arm of God's justice, will never fall upon those who are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the story. So can death separate you? No. How about angels? Well, no. How about principalities and powers? No. How about things that are present? <laughs> Anything present pressing on you right now? Well, guess what? It cannot separate you from Christ's love. How about things in the past? Anybody have a past that, 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 that horrifies them? It can't separate you from Christ's love. How about things in the future? How about things that are really high, way more powerful than me? How about things that are really low? And he just goes on to say, you know, all these things, all these things, they cannot separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that important for you to remember? Does that shape your thinking towards the future? Does that shape your mind towards the now? Are you memorializing that? Is that close to your mind? The Passover and then the ultimate Passover, God says, I want you to remember this, His faithfulness. Well, we're running out of time, so I'm going to turn to all these. But let me just tell you this. There's another principle in Scripture that's really wonderful. And that is this, is that, is that not only is God, and you can read these, there's, there's many, you can do a study on the, the memorials, but not only has, has God set up this for us, for our lives, for our thinking, but guess what? God has set this up for his own thinking as if God needed it. He doesn't need it. 
But God has done this for our assurance and for our hope. Isn't that wonderful? Let me just give you one reference. This is amazing. It's in Malachi 3. It says that, that, that as, as people fear the Lord, and as they speak to each other in the fear of the Lord, to encourage one another, and to exhort one another, and to just do life together, to fellowship, that, that, that a book of remembrance is being written for God of all those that fear Him. The New Testament parallel of that is Hebrews 6, where it says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Isn't that something? You ever wish your, your husband would remember your work and labor of love you did for him, or maybe your child or your boss or whoever? Guess what? That, that's okay. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. He hasn't forgotten one work you've done in his name. That's amazing. A book of remembrance being written before God. People. Let me give you one more in the New Testament. And this is something that should stand out to us. So we talked about God's, God's person as a memorial to us, just who, who He is. His great salvation is supposed to be at the forefront of our thoughts as a, as a memorial. But then God says one more, Jesus points us to one more thing. It's in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verse 6 through 13. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Listen to verse 13. Fairly or truly I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel, what's the gospel? The gospel is that we're sinners, great sinners, condemned sinners. The gospel says that there is no way for condemned sinners to be made right with God. The gospel says that we're totally dead in trespasses and sins, meaning that we are totally unable to please God, to come to God. But the gospel says this, God sent his son, Jesus, his own son, his only begotten son, his most, the, 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 the choice jewel of his crown, God sent his son. God sent His Son to come and, and to stand in our place, to stand both in His perfect righteousness and to stand in His death in our place so that Jesus Christ would bear the wrath of God for sinners, for real sin, for actual sin, for the lie that you told yesterday, for the hard heart that you came into church with today, that God sent His Son to die for those sins. And in dying for those sins, for all of those whom God had given to His Son, for all the elect, God, Jesus Christ, completely paid the sin debt, and every stain of sin is removed from those who are in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ has said that all who will come to me, I will cast out none. You mean me? You mean Mary Magdalene? You mean Manasseh? Do you mean, do you mean as you're sitting there, you see me, me, you say, yes, you. If you are in, if you are under the condemnation of God and you're feeling the weight of your sin and you know that you have no way to make yourself right with God and you know that you need a Savior, I'm telling you, yes, you. Yes, you. 
that even you can find cleansing in the blood of Christ. There's no message like that, is there? It's amazing, and it's true. And then he says that wherever this glorious gospel is preached, in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for memorial of her. What is Jesus doing? Jesus saying, you need to, you need to see, uh, not just what Jesus has done, but you gotta, I can hear about this woman. Here's what Jesus is doing, friends. Jesus is, is showing the great redemption that he's wrought and the change that it makes. He's saying, look at the faith. Look at the faith. This memorial should be told of this woman. Now, it's interesting, we don't know her name. You know whose name we know here? We know Simon the leper. He's not so hot. We still know his name. But we don't know her name. And that's okay. That's not the important part. The important part is we see her faith. Look what God has done to change this woman's heart, to give her a love for Jesus Christ, where she sees the value of Christ and she pours out her very best for him, to honor him. Jesus says, I want you to take note of great faith. Jesus wants great faith to be the forefront of your thinking, that you also might walk in faith. Jesus honors, Jesus takes note, Jesus points to great faith. Jesus is moved by this great faith to encourage you and I in our darkness, in our day, to walk in faith. Your faith will not fail. Your faith will not be unnoticed. Your faith will not be unrewarded. Walk in faith. Trust Jesus Christ. Obey Jesus Christ. Honor Jesus Christ. This is, you see, friend, brothers and sisters, what, it's just three things that we talked about today. The being of God, the great salvation, and the work of faith that God has wrought in us. This is what God wants you to think about. His goodness, His salvation, and that He is worthy of you living out your life in faith. As you do that, I promise you, your mind will be renewed. You'll be able to walk in loneliness of mind, in a willing mind, in a mind that is not soon shaken as we keep Him before our faces. And so I pray that these thoughts have been a blessing to you and would stir you and provoke you to work at renewing your mind. What a blessing it is to have certain memories Certain stories, certain truths that shape who we are. Make sure the the truths and the memories that are shaping who you are are the truths that God has preserved in his word for you to remember. Here's a challenge for you. You can join me if you want. I'd encourage you to do it. It's June starts on Thursday. Is that right? 
Let's take the month of June and let's do a complete fast from social media. Would you do that with me? Let's do a complete fast. I mean all of it. Do a fast on social media. And in its place, in its place, pick one passage of Scripture to either memorize or just read over and over and over again through the month. Let your soul be bathed with truth, with truth. And let your heart be encouraged. May God bless you is my prayer.